I'm Casey Finey, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. Today we have composer Max Richter, whose work has fueled everything from ballets and operas to TV shows and films, including Black Mirror, The Leftovers, and Waltz with Bashir. Now, something that you need to know about Max is the fact that his creativity is matched only by his ambition. I mean, would you have the audacity to rescore a seminal work like Vivaldi's Four Seasons or compose an eight-hour lullaby? Didn't think so. There's a fearlessness that's come to define his work that I personally find inspiring, and hopefully you will too. So, Max, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I think creativity is a word, an idea that I think is so broad, Mm -hmm. and people toss it around without really giving any consideration as to what it means to them personally. Yeah. In the context of what you do as a composer, how have you come to define the word creativity? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I mean, I think of my work and creative work really as a set of experiments, a continual sort of uh, moving from what you do know into a space that you don't know. And you sort of explore that space by making work, which sort of steps out into it. So you're kind of in a pool of light and you're stepping out into the dark and discovering stuff. So it's a kind of, yeah, it's a process of inquiry, I think. Uh, And that, that for me, is really satisfying. You know, your work has obviously spanned so many genres and styles. And how does one project inform the next? Like, what do you get from one project that you may apply to another project, even though it could be completely different? Sure. It's it's like kind of uh, like a mining operation, you know? I'm, like, digging down into sort of trying to explore, you know, other aspects of my language all the time. And the projects are, you know, they're in, they're unique things. They, they sit on them, you know, of themselves, but they also, they're also a continuum. You know, they're joined up by a kind of evolution and series of discoveries in, in terms of the language. So, yeah, I mean, everything is biographical ultimately, isn't it? So we're always, like, talking about our stuff in some way, right? Yeah. And what, what has that process been like for you, that evolution of starting out with... Uh your first solo album, Memory House, Mm. all the way through the work that you're doing today because people who've been listening to you can absolutely see a sense of growth and a sense of uh, this maturity almost in this really amazing space of uh, indie classical, as they say. Okay, right. Uh, So how has that evolution been for you? In a way, it sort of all starts with my my sort of uh, time at university and conservatoire where, you know, I I was sort of taught that in order to be a serious composer you had to write incredibly complicated music you know that was it was almost like the work was like a manifesto or a lecture you know and that was that was kind of how it was that was the orthodoxy and i it took me a long time to sort of understand that that wasn't for me you know i wanted to try and make a language which was kind of more direct and more legible and a kind of sort of plain speaking kind of a language. So so with Memory House, I sort of was trying to sort of build a, a kind of architecture that could convey things in a kind of a direct way. Mm-hmm. You know, so without being dumb, be kind of understandable, you know, because music is talking, right? So if you're not, you know, if you're talking a language no one understands, then 
why are you talking, right? <laughs> so, so that was kind of my aim. And so I guess over the years I've sort of, you know, uh, brought, you know, all the, all the things I love into that language, you know. So that's, you know, like Renaissance music and classical music and but electronic music and post-rock and all those things that, that I sort of, that kind of make me excited about music, you, you know, sort of incorporate in, into the language and, and just sort of grow that over time. And... There's there's a story in your in your career that I love. Like when you were first starting out, uh, you went to study under the famed Italian composer Luciano Berio. And yeah, he's the one who I think told you or made you believe in the beauty of simplicity. Yeah, and I I think that's something that a lot of creative people can kind of forget about. They kind of yeah. get so caught up in making something as uh, complex and yeah. just you know this Absolutely. has to they they equate meaningfulness with complexity almost. Absolutely right. With Berio, I mean, it was amazing because, I mean, he was obviously a visionary, you know, really a wonderful composer. Um, and even though he was part of that sort of high modernist moment, I think his music was sort of bigger than that. It was always about all kinds of musics and music history and collage and society and, you know, I love the, the kind of humanism of his work, actually, you know. <laughs> when I first went to him, I showed him a piano piece I'd written, which was the kind of classic student composer's piano piece, which is unbelievably hard, you know, <laughs> insanely difficult, written on, like, seven staves, you know, really, really, like, octopus-type <laughs> piano music, which I guess very many student composers have written that piece, right? Um, and he just kind of was, like, looking at this, and he was just like... And he just he just basically started in a in a kind of a nice way but he just started making fun of it you know it was just like Aww. really <laughs> you know <laughs> really and and i just and it, and it was interesting because i i i just the kind of lights went on for me you know and he basically just you know saying well what is it you actually trying to convey here uh. you know what is what is it why you know why this you know rather than like the piece is a kind of some sort of proof of a theory what is it actually, you know, person to person? What's going on here on a kind of human level? So do you keep that in mind when, you, when you're when you working on what you do now? Because obviously, you know, you've... Mm. It, it may be a little bit different when you're working on the, on the score for like a TV show mm. or a film, yeah. but I just love that idea of asking why. Why? Yeah. Why is this? And so yeah. how has that played out throughout your career? Well, I guess, I mean, for me... I mean, there's two sort of answers, really. I mean, the first is, like, on a purely musical level, um, I'm really interested in trying to um, cut away all the kind of extraneous things. So it's a very sort of reductive process I have. I, you know, I'm just trying to take away stuff so that I'm left with something very straightforward, again, without being dumb, but something very which is very direct and sort of clear in terms of conveying something. And I guess the other thing is, yeah, what am what am I conveying? Um, and you know, for me, music is is really a storytelling language. You know, it's about narrative. It's about you know our human need and and sort of habit of making stories. You know, we tell stories about everything. You know, from starting from our biography to why we do things to you know we that's what we do. And um, yeah, so the stories, I guess, I'm that sort of get me that sort of motivate me and get me started with something are, you know, the the kind of, the sort of bigger questions of why we do stuff, you know, how to live, what's going on in society, the political sphere, 
you know, a lot of the work, Memory House, Blue Notebooks, Infra, they're political projects, actually, you know, and I, and I would actually say sleepers as well, in a different way. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I, I find so interesting, because I'm glad you brought it up, that these, some of these works that you've done, like the Blue Notebooks, mm. like even Infra, like mm-hmm. these are things that are tied, they have like socio-political themes to them. Yeah, sure. And us people wouldn't necessarily associate your genre of music with making some kind of protest. And so at that intersection of what it is that you do and tying in all these themes, all these mm. very heavy themes, what about that inspires you? Like, why tie those themes into your work? Well, um, I don't, I can't really answer that. You no. know, I mean, we, I think as as artists, you you kind of, you know, material catches fire for some reason that you don't know why. And you pursue the things that inspire you. That's that's how we, you know, you go from, it's almost like, you know, stepping stones across a river. You know, you, the next thing that sort of pulls you forward and inspires you, that's where you go. I think, you know, creativity is a social project as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's something which is a way for society to talk to itself about where we are, what's going on, you know. And I think, personally, I think it's important. You know, it's like a, I mean, if we're not doing that, then we're missing something, you know, I think. And so, obviously, the Blue Notebooks, you know, was in response to the Iraq War, mm-hmm. and Infra was in response to the uh, 2005 London bombings, mm-hmm. and then you have Sleep, mm-hmm. an eight-hour lullaby, and right. you said that you consider that something of a protest, so why? Yeah. <laughs> That's like the well, one outlier. <laughs> okay, well, it's, I, I, yeah, for me, it's a kind of a protest song, in a way, a big protest song. Very long um, protest song. Very long one, yeah, it's really long. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, one of the starting points for it, really, was... You know, my my kind of sense that our culture is moving towards a sort of kind of a one-dimensional, very screen-based data universe. You know, we're very allies are very populated by that. Um, and there's, you know, we have this sort of neoliberal consensus with which views, of, you know, people really as just objects which consume and produce. And for me, that's like, that's really reductive and it's kind of squeezing out 98% of what a human being really is you know we're bigger than that we're bigger you know we have you know all kinds of dimensions which are not sort of commercial and we reduce ourselves by you know constantly being in this kind of hamster wheel of that stuff you know so one of the things we can do about that uh, on a personal level and you know I, I sort of have felt the need for that is to kind of disconnect from that stuff for a while and, you know, creativity and artworks can sort of catalyze that. You know, they're, they're ways to go, hang on a minute, let's just, you know, get off the screen and let's just remember, you know, who we are, right? So sleep, I, get, I, I think of it as like a big pause button, you know? It's like a kind of roadblock. <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's such a great concept. And you've said a few times that you talk about music as a language and as storytelling. and. Yeah. With that, obviously, I mean, I'm a writer myself, and mm-hmm. so I always run straight into writer's block sometimes, and so I'm sure that's something that you experience as well. And so when you think back to your career, has there been a project or anything that you've been working on where you have just felt absolutely stuck? Like, I cannot figure this out in a creative sense. I think that is just part of doing creative work. Yeah. I mean, I would say the beginning of every project feels like that. You know, because you're sort of, you've got that blank sheet of paper and it's kind of, it feels impossible to kind of do anything with that, you know? So where do you start? Um, 
personally. I just start. I personally just feel like I just start making things.、Mm. You know, I I just feel like as long as I'm turning up and making things, then something will happen.、Mm. And it's about again, it's like that. You know, moving into that space that you don't know. And really, what I'm waiting for is that that thing which you know, as a writer, you know, you'll know that thing of, you know, your characters start doing stuff、exactly. which you weren't expecting, and that's like the the material starts to take on an intentionality which we don't know where that comes from, right? right? It's exciting. So once that starts to happen, then you know something's something's going on, right? So <laughs> and so even with something like sleep, which is this eight hour. This eight-hour lullaby.、Mm. How did that start for you? Was it just? Did you just have some melody in your head that you got down, or like how? How did that begin? What was the spark that、yeah. turned into this? Yeah, eight-hour opus. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's 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 a mix of things. Always, it's it's like a it's a whole mix of like、um, you know conceptualizing and planning and strategy and ideas, but then there's also just a kind of a like putting things in a test tube and seeing what happens sort of phase, and that. Those those things kind of run in parallel. I mean, with sleep, I had these, I had the kind of two themes.、Mm-hmm. You kind of st- sort of straight away, they you know stuff just haunts you, and after a while you think, no,、nah, you know, I should be writing that down, and that's and that's kind of what happens, right? Because you know you have all this stuff going through your head all the time, and some things just feel like they have a kind of gravitational pull.、Yeah. So that's yeah. As I understand it, you've had some very Uh, formative experiences with music from、mm. a very very early age. You、mm. know, I I read that you used to build synthesizers in、mm-hmm. your room when you were a teenager,、mm. and you made your mom take you to see Fantasia twice in one day, <laughs> which、right. I totally understand because that movie is everything. <laughs> it's insane. <yeah. laughs> and I think that that's something that's really relatable to everyone. Like when we think back to our childhood, there、mm-hmm. seems to be this、uh, almost reckless passion that we have for certain things, right? And That passion can hard be hard to maintain sometimes. So, do you feel like you've ever fallen out of love with what you do,、um, or has that love for no, music ever waned? N- not really. No.、Mm. I mean, I I feel I feel like I'm. It's almost like I'm a passenger on this thing. Sometimes, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just way? well, it's just like there's. I've always got music going around in my head, and my, I just sort of relate to life. In, via music, it's quite puzzling, actually. It's, I mean, you know, I don't know what it's like to be someone else, but I imagine it's not like what it's like to be me. You know, <laughs> it's 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 just it's just kind of always there. And you're right. I mean, you know, that sort of childhood, sort of passion and involvement and being really sort of submerged in something. I mean, that for me is,、uh, I mean, that's the kind of state I'm I'm looking for. You know, all the time. You know, it's and kind of preserving that sense of that kind of sense of magical possibility and wonder that children have. I mean, I think for artists, that's you know, if you can stay connected to that, then you're in a good place. And that's I love that you bring this up because I think that when you start out, when a lot of people start out in their career, they they do have that that. They feel that freedom to do、yes. whatever they want, and、yes. like as you build a name for yourself,、yes. there's more pressures that come along with that.、Right. And in some ways, it can kind of box you in or make、right. you feel like you can't be、yeah. as free as possible. Right. And how do you fight against that, or is that even something that you experience? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's funny, and then you know, quite often you get people who start censoring themselves, and it's almost like they. 
someone will make a successful project and then they basically just copy that after you know because then exactly. you know we again you know our very commercial sort of mindset we have we're used to relating to brands so we turn an artist into a brand and then suddenly we just want more of that brand you right. know and if they try and change then we get upset which is crazy because creativity is like the whole point about it is it's unpredictable it's free it's kind of goes beyond categories i just really try to stay focused on the, what the material is kind of wanting to do what it how it sort of feels to me to just make those sounds and I mean, my basic assumption is that no one will ever listen to it anyway. You know, so it's like, I just kind of think, well, I'm just doing this, you know, because I, it's sort of fidelity to the material. You know, that's my contract. It's me and the material. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, if, if it connects with other people, then, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. Right. And what, what is the creative process like for you when you're working on something that's you know personal to you something that's your of your own invention versus hmm. when you are hired to sure. you know compose for a film or sure. a TV show what is that what is that varying yeah i mean creative process for you they are quite different um i mean when it's just me working on a record or a a commission of instrumental music or something i mean it really is just there are no no limits just follow the material see what happens you know it's as simple as that really um, whether it's a, a film or TV project that's a complete in a way it's a completely different dynamic because first of all it's a collaborative thing which is great actually I love that sort of puzzle solving aspect of those mm -hmm. sort of collaborations but then also you've got you know a completely different process you've got loads of parameters you know you've got you know this we need this 87 seconds and it needs to do this and this uh, and um, I mean I actually really enjoy the challenge of that because it's very technically demanding mm. you know to make something which feels inevitable but is you know 40 seconds of that followed by 3 seconds and then 8 seconds of that and right. da 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 and it has to go from there to there and make the time pass in that way and we have to that person's point of view you know it's like wow Right. That's really complicated, but but you know it's like going to the gym. It's like going to compose a gym. You know, <laughs> like you really need good chops to be able to do it. And and I I enjoy that. You know. So what would you say has been the uh, the most uh, I guess taxing, the most physically taxing? If you think of it as a composer gym, yeah. what project has left you the most sort of wiped flawed. out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know actually. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I guess I mean the leftovers was a lot of work. We did three seasons of it. Love and that show. Yeah, I mean so much. <laughs> the thing about that show is it was the bar was very high in that show. You know, the writing is amazing, the acting is amazing. Everyone is like on their A game all the time. It's so smart. You know, Damon's like brilliant and you know, it's it was a fantastic creative team. And so, you know, we didn't settle for kind of second best solution we were always like really pushing it so and of course you know it comes around every week so you finish one and the next one's in your inbox you know it's right it's there it's like ah oh, i can't get away from it so i mean it was really satisfying but but yeah it was hard yeah no it's a fantastic show and yeah. i think that i love it because and i love it for you as well mm. because it's a show that does rely quite heavily on the music. Like, if, yeah. you if you take the music away, if the music was anything different, yeah. it would be, in my opinion, a completely different show. Sure. Whereas some TV shows and films, they the music is almost in the background. Right, it's very exactly. much. It's, it, it doesn't add much texture to sure. the project. So when you 
assign on to do a project, mm. is that a conversation that you have? Like, will my work actually add something sure. to this, or yeah. will it just be yeah. background music? Sure. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I, the projects I get involved with are, are are the projects where you know they are looking for for what I do. You know, which is which isn't that kind of like you say, sort of very recessed, sort of invisible music kind of. Um, it's something which is more of a kind of um, substantive sort of creative contribution to the way the thing feels. So, when people come to you for what you do, how would you describe what it is that you do? Because <laughs> you mentioned earlier, you know, talking about brands and yeah. people becoming very familiar with with certain things that you're able to do. Sure. And so in in the landscape of composers, what what position do you think you fill? What is it that you do so well? How would you describe well, it? Uh, I don't know. Here's the time to brag on yourself. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, for me, I'm I'm always sort of looking for something which feels which feels kind of like it's my voice. So now, and I I my writing process is is sort of continuously trying to discover what that is. And also I'm looking for things that feel like, that feel sort of inevitable and sort of pre-existent almost. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking for that feeling of like, oh, it could only be that way, you know? Uh-huh. And, and you know, some artists, you know, you hear work by them and you think, um, you know, how could somebody have written that? Because right. it has that sort of, you know, it's funny. I mean, my daughter is going through a uh, she's going through a Joni Mitchell phase, right? Oh. So, so she, you know, played Blue. And I was about to say, what album and is a, she on? Because... And I'm just, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, how can someone have written that? Oh. It's like it's off the chart, brilliant. It's got, it feels like it's eternal, right? I did she come to that on her own, or did you introduce her to um, that? Well, I would have played it to her when she was tiny, but okay. now she's like eighteen, nineteen. You know, she's so she's hearing it. For herself, oh, my blue phase was in high school. Oh man, I mean, it's, it's lingered ever since. I know. I mean, it's <laughs> like, but it's got such authority. You know, you you hear those songs, and it's like, well, it, yeah, it could only be that way, right? Right. And what we at Fast Company, we talk a lot about finding your purpose, finding mm-hmm. your mission. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that, what is that lasting impression that you want to leave? And mm-hmm. so, when you think about your career, like, what is that creative legacy that you want to leave? Wow. <laughs> grand, grand I literally topics. never thought about that in my entire <laughs> life. Um, I mean, I, I guess I just see creative work as a kind of series of sort of provisional answers to the questions that are around us, you know, a kind of a response to how, you know, how we're living now and uh, sort of some suggested, you know, ways of, you know, and uh, sort of getting through the day, basically. You know, that's, I think, a, a big part of uh, creative work is about that, you know. And and I think that's one of the things, you know, I mean, like personally, you know, we just talked about Joni Mitchell, but, you know, artworks, you know, they make a difference, right? You know, I mean, like, you know, Beethoven makes my life better, right. you know. He does that. Like, whenever, you know, I turn on the radio, he's there, he makes my life better. <laughs> that minute, it's better. Yeah. I mean, and it's even better when you get a chance to rescore something that makes it even better because if we talk about ambitious projects, I know we talked about Sleep, this yeah. eight-hour masterpiece, but then you also took it upon yourself to rescore of all these four seasons. Sure. Why would you put yourself through that? Yeah, that was a strange move. 
I mean, DG had this recomposed project mm-hmm. um, where they'd, they'd uh, you know, Matthew Herbert had done one and Carl Craig and a few other people. And it sort of, they talked to me about it and, it and it actually sort of matched up with something I'd been wanting to do, which is I'd been wanting to sort of try and um, overcome my sort of nervous breakdown about the Four Seasons because when I was a kid, you know, tiny, uh, pretty much the first bit of kind of art music I heard, right? Beautiful melodies, great drama, great color, it's very rapid. It's an amazing piece. Yeah. But, you know, then growing up, I started to hear it everywhere, you know, on the TV, on the telephone, on advertising. I'm like, oh, it's that stuff again, you know, man, you know. And I started to hate this piece that I loved. So that was weird. And so what I really wanted to try and do is to try and recover my kind of original enthusiasm for that material by kind of exploring it. So it's like taking Vivaldi's landscape and just doing a road trip through it to try and almost encounter it for the first time. Mm. Um, so that that was kind of the origin of Recomposed. And uh, and I love that. And, I mean, where, where do you even start with something like that? Because obviously you have this existing work, this very well-known work. Yeah. There's a lot of... <laughs> there's oh, a lot of, yeah. There may be a lot of pressure. People saying, like, how dare he even right. touch this? Right, And you'd manage to... Because I, I, I listened to it when it came out, and I, right. it's marvelous. And so oh, I think you. that it could have gone in so many different directions. Sure. So, like, how did you approach this and make it make this classic piece of work somehow your own, but you yeah. st- it's still recognizable as yeah. Four Seasons? Yeah. I mean, that was a, it was an interesting puzzle, actually. I mean... My kind of door into that material was the realization that, you know, we had, a, in a way, we had a common language and that that's all around the idea of pattern. Because Vivaldi's music is really modular. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's chunky and it's like repeated cycles. Right. And it, the architecture is very sort of cut and paste in a way. I mean, like, you couldn't really do this with Bach because you've mm-hmm. got all those long lines and you just, you break it if you yeah, cut it mess. up. <laughs> it would be yeah. a mess. You just, you're kind of killing it. But with yeah. Vivaldi, it's like you can actually just sort of almost slice it up and reconfigure those that architecture by just moving those chunks around and using the, like, using the original as a sort of jumping off point. Um, and I, I just sort of felt that that was the way to kind of approach it and... I just sort of followed my enthusiasms through the score and just kind of wrote through it. Right. Yeah. So what do you feel enthusiastic about? Like, what is it, what is it, what about you, what you do excites you creatively? Because I think that some people, you've been doing this for how many years now? It's a while, yeah. It's a while. And so what would you say is that thing that really keeps you going? Because you mentioned that you ha- you've never really, your passion has never really waned too too severely so like what what is it that keeps you going that keeps you excited yeah i mean i guess i just i just feel like i feel like it's the stuff i don't know that keeps me excited you know they have this uh this this little phrase in in zen you know beginner's mind Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like that's that's my state if i you know i'm like i'm still sort of starting right it's like because it's all out there right there's this you know the range of what i've done is a spec and then there's this big universe of possibilities. Right. Um, and it's stuff I don't know. So that's what keeps me going. And to me, I think that that's really what has come to define your work in a way. There is this fearlessness that you approach things with and the projects that you take on. It's something that I always think, I can't imagine anyone else doing this but 
Max Victor. Because, <laughs> you know, and, and you continually surprise listeners with, with the projects that you take on. And so when you think about this wide open landscape of possibilities, all the questions that remain yeah. unanswered, where do you go from here? Where are you, where are you steering your ship next, so okay. to speak? Well, I mean, I'm doing a, a cinema project right now, which is a, a beautiful um, re-sort of examination of the Mary Queen of Scots Elizabeth mm-hmm. dynamic. And that's fun because I'm sort of, I'm engaging a little bit with kind of 16th century music in that, which is really, I mean, I love that material so it's a wonderful way to kind of connect to that um, and then further down the line there's a new um, I guess the next sort of record project which will be in 19 which is um, a sort of mm, what is it <laughs> it's this it's this cloud of possibilities it's gotta uh, be good if you can't even like really what is verbalize it? I'm, I'm, it it's so I mean it's a piece which is it's an orchestral piece with vocal with a big vocal component and a big political component and of course I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that's that again is what I love about what you do is that you're not afraid to incorporate like political themes yeah, sure. in it. How do you begin to do this? Like when you have mm. a theme like something like the Iraq War, something mm-hmm. that is like horrible, mm-hmm. how do you weave that in with what you do? Like where do you start with that? Yeah. Where do you begin? I mean, I guess the starting point for Blue Notebooks was actually that we'd, I mean, it was, you know, there was a big build up to that whole situation over a few months. So it was it was in the air, you know, and there was there were a couple of things. I mean, the first really was that, there was this sort of schism opening up between facts and kind of what we know. Well, people now describe as fake news. But, I was going to say that sounds very familiar. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it was almost like the beginning of that, because it was almost like the first time that had been out in the open. Hard to know how to engage with that. Really, I, I started to think about Kafka because Kafka used like the absurd as a way of critiquing, you know, totalitarianism, horrible things, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, so Kafka's my guy here, you know. So I I started sort of looking at ways to um, incorporate him. And then I I also wanted to try and sort of speak to the kind of emotionality of of that situation on a kind of human level, trying to make something which has a kind of luminosity but using very dark materials. So Mm -hmm. it's like a sort of alchemical sort of transmuting sort of base metal into gold kind of idea, you know. So it's you know it's a very it's all black note key, very somber music, but then it it just starts to kind of glow, you know. Um, so that's the kind of aspiration for that for that work. And the, the record overall is is a kind of turning over, sort of mental turning over of those problems and those questions. You know, how should we act? Mm. Uh, yeah. Right. And so, for someone as prolific as you've been and, and widespread as your career. I'm curious to know, like, what advice would you give to someone who is feeling a bit stuck or feeling a little down in, like, their creative process? Like, right. they can't really figure out which way. Because I think that creativity in many ways is universal. Yes, so even course. So even if it's not another composer who's stuck, yeah. it could be anyone else. So yeah. what advice would you give to someone who is feeling like, they're scared to make a move one way or the other right. or they can't seem to get something started. Sure. I mean, I guess uh, there's really two things. Um, 
I guess the first thing I think it's it's probably the most important is you know try and figure out what it is you've got that no one else has got because there is something mm. there's so, you know we are we've all had unique biographies you know we've all got stories to tell that no one else knows you know it's very you know we've all got like this truly unique in in every sense experience of like being and what we do how do we get through the day how do we live you know everyone's got that and so i would say you know cultivate that um because then also you're cultivating something which is very natural to you you know because i think and that's easier than cultivating something which is like a position you know because often you know especially young artists you feel like you should be doing something of course right and i think that can be very destructive you know because why you know really creativity is about connecting with the stuff that's deep inside you and sort of making something out of that mm -hmm. right so i would say that and and i guess the other thing is you have to keep going right that's it and and if you literally do not stop then something will happen and I don't want this conversation to stop, but that's all the time that we have. And I really appreciate you coming in, Max. This has been wonderful. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Fast Company's Creative Conversation. We'll be back with another episode really soon, I promise. But in the meantime, make sure you like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>